0: Corey Wasson is speaking today, and I know he spoke here a few times, and, uh, man, we've become buds. Like, we've become, like, legit friends, and uh, it's always an honor to, like, meet just for coffee. He, he definitely, like, does something in me and stretches me and asks difficult questions, and he's probably one of the smartest guys I know, like, to be honest, and he, he can be intimidating, but he's so cool, like, and that dude loves hot tubs. Like, we were hanging out somewhere recently, and there was a hot tub, and he's like, hot tub what and like like instead of like prayer morning noon and night it became hot tub morning noon and night so so anyway Corey watson he's gonna finish up the series here uh which is cool it's our last week on the on the section of worship in our series so to to commission josh and lydia into worship and then Corey to to finish up the series i think is really fitting so love you bro Yeah, sorry about that. There you go. We used to say in our organization, we were missionaries for a number of years. We do missions, not transitions. So we just we have not perfected it, and uh, we're not even really trying to as a church. It's one of the things I love about Upper Room is this is a family church. We have a family culture, and we have a value for being real, for being honest, for being vulnerable, for being raw, for not coming in and faking it. Um, and so I love, I love our community. We have different peoples from all kinds of different backgrounds, and we all gather here, and we really like each other. We have fun with each other. So this is such an awesome church to be a part of. Um, go ahead and get your Bibles out. I, I'm, I'm a PowerPoint guy. Like I said, I lived in Africa for the past, like, decade, so I don't, I don't really know anything about technology. I'm, like, from the Stone Age. I have no social media. I don't know anything. And so um, I don't know how to make cool PowerPoints. I'm sorry. So we're going to have to use these. If you have a digital version of these, you probably know how to get onto that. I don't, but you do. So go ahead and bust that out. But we're going to open to the book of Acts. Book of Acts. You can go ahead and open to Acts 2. That's where we're going to go today. And uh, so we're transitioning right now from our sermon series on worship. Is this worship? Boom, worship to our sermon series on grow. And we're talking about kind of our values as a church, our mission as a church, that we are committed to worship. That's first for us, but then out of that flows, we wanna see growth in every single person's life. And then that flows into us going out, going out into our community, going out to our city, going out to the nations. And all of that kind of loops back around to more people worshiping and growing and going. And it kind of cycles. the whole world loves Jesus, and then we can finish this thing up. Okay, so that's, that's our mission. That's what we're about. And today I'm going to kind of pivot from what we've been talking about in worship to what we're talking about and grow. You guys up for that? Okay, cool. So get out your Bibles. If you're a note taker, I'd encourage you to get out your notes. Um, We're just going to go straight Bible for a while. So I hope you like the Bible because that's what you're going to get today. If you don't like the Bible, Um, you're going to be bored because that's what I'm going to talk about basically the whole time. So open up to Acts. I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to roll. All right, Lord, I thank you so much for this church, for this community, for what you're doing in this city. Lord, I thank you first and foremost for your presence, that you're actually in our midst. You say that when we gather together, where there's two or three or more, that you are in our midst, that your presence is in our midst, that your spirit is in our midst. That you're here, you're actually here in the midst of us, and that when we worship, we're not just worshiping into the air, we're actually worshiping directly to you, Jesus, as a person. That when we pray, we're not just doing a religious act, that we're actually talking to you, Jesus, as a person. And when we gather together to listen to preaching and teaching, it's not just a TED Talk or a seminar. There's something more going on in the room. It's your word spoken by your lips that's penetrating into our lives, and we get to fellowship with you in that. It's exciting to be in the room with you this morning, Jesus. You are the most exciting thing about church. And there are some things worth getting excited about, and you are one of them. You are worth getting excited about. We love you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Yeah, for those of you who are new, you might have noticed that uh, we're we're not a quiet family. I don't know why, we're just, we're not a quiet family. And here's the thing, it's because there really are some things that are worth getting excited about. There really are certain things that are so wonderful, that are so awe-inspiring, that are so majestic, that are so riveting, that it would be inappropriate to respond to it in any other way than with enthusiasm and excitement. Okay? If you're watching Final Four and the clock is ticking down and the score is tied and the offense is pressing and he goes for that three-pointer it's in the middle of the air and you're sitting there in your chair leaned back totally disconnected from what's happening you're wrong. You are you no. You are missing something profound. Paint your chest. Get your get your finger out. Blow Woo! like there's a moment to say this is exciting. And sometimes I think that we've forgotten that Jesus is like that, all right? So, so Jesus isn't the boring thing that we just sit there and endure for 60 to 90 minutes on a Sunday. Jesus is the exciting thing that we get to come into his presence and be thrilled by him for 60 to 90 minutes. And so we're that kind of family. If you like that, this is a really good place for you. Um, so welcome, you guys good? All right, let's get into it. So let's talk a little bit about what the book of Acts is about. We'll just kind of start at the beginning. I'm going to tell you some of the story, and then we're going to jump in. So the book of Acts, it's actually part two of a two-part series. So there's this author named Luke. He wrote his first book. It's titled Luke. It's all about the story of Jesus, the life of Jesus, the works of Jesus, okay? And then he finished that book, and then he wrote a second book. And his second book is the book of Acts. And this book is the story of the apostles and their adventures. And it's the story of the church. And it's the story of what the Holy Spirit was doing in and through the church. And he continued that narrative. And so we've got these two awesome books that were written by him, one about Jesus and one about the church, okay? And so this book, when we start in Acts 1, it's right at the transition between the two, okay? So Jesus had lived his life. He had died his death he was buried, he rose again, okay? And after he rose again, he spent 40 days with a number of people. In 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 an epistle, it tells us it was upwards of 500 people that were gathered at one time that he spent time with. He personally spent time with them after he had been dead and then resurrected. He hung out with them, okay? And then this is showing us his final moment on the earth, before he went somewhere, okay? So when you read Acts 1, he's hanging out with his disciples. They're in their final moments together. And these guys are thinking, man, Jesus is the best. We we knew that the Lord was going to send a king to us. We've been waiting for a really long time for a king. This guy is the king. He died. That was a little bit disappointing, but it's okay because he's back. It's like after you finish the first Avengers— And then you watch the in game. And you're like, we're okay. We're okay, folks. If you've never seen the movies, it's okay if you don't know what I'm talking about. You're like, oh my gosh, everyone's dead. Oh, okay. We're okay. We're okay. So, um, So Jesus is back. Everyone was super disappointed for a few days. And then everyone was super stoked after that. All right, this guy raised from the dead. And then they're like, Jesus, when are you going to establish your kingdom? What they're asking him is, can we take over the world now? These guys, I like these guys. Because I wake up every morning thinking like, I would, I would like to take over the world. I don't know if there's any other people like that who wake up. Most of you are like, no, I'm not like that. You're weird, Corey. But I think entrepreneurially when I wake up in the morning, I'm like, how, how could we do it? How could we take over the world together? And so these guys were ready to take over the world. So Jesus, when are you going to establish your kingdom? You are the king. You died. You were resurrected. Let's go. And Jesus is like, it's not for you to know times and seasons. Got to go. And he, and, he, and he rolls out on them. I don't know how it happened, but Jesus, it says that he began to ascend. It's like, Jesus, when are we going to take over the world? He's like, not now. And he just starts to float. Vroom, tractor beam. You know what I mean? Like, uh, They're like, Jesus. He's like, don't worry. I'm going to send you something sometime. Go to Jerusalem and wait. And when it comes, you'll be able to preach the gospel to the whole world. Deuces. Foom, he's gone. And this is the best part of the story. There's, it says that two angels come to them, and they ask them a question. They say, they say, men of Galilee, why are you staring at the heavens? What? If I was one of the disciples, I'm like, are you kidding me? Like a man just floated up into the sky, and you have the audacity to ask me why I'm staring at the heavens. You know what I mean? If Aaron right now just started tractor beaming up towards the ceiling and all of you were doing this, and I was like, guys, guys, what do you do? Stop. What are you doing looking over there? I'm right here. So these angels asked him this question, men of Galilee, what are you staring at? The same way that he ascended, he will also de- descend. The same way that he went up, he's going to come back down. And then he sends him. What did he tell you to do? Well, he told us to, to wait because there's something that he's going to send us. And in an indefinite amount of time. So they have no clue when it's going to come. So they go back to Jerusalem, and it says that there were about 120 people who believed in Jesus, okay? There was 120 people that believed in Jesus. They believed in his, his death, in his burial, in his resurrection, and they had left whatever else they were doing before to move to Jerusalem And to gather together in a place called the upper room. Maybe you've heard of that title or name before. And so they come together in the upper room to wait for what he promised them. I'm gonna send you something sometime. It's my promise to you. And when you get it, oh man, things are gonna get wild. You're gonna be able to do the impossible. And so they go into the upper room and they wait for 10 days. And they're worshiping and they're praying and they're talking about everything that had happened processing the last few years that they had spent with jesus okay and in acts 2 i think you guys know the story but the day of pentecost comes it's a festival that celebrates when god had descended to the people of israel and given them the law on the mountain and he had descended in fire and in smoke and in power and displayed his glory to israel and on this day celebrating that event in history, this big festival where everyone would come to Jerusalem. Everyone was gathered, and all of a sudden it says that the heavens were opened, all right? There was this loud sound. There was this rushing wind, and that fire came down upon the apostles and their community, and they began to do all kinds of wild things, okay? One is that they began to speak in tongues, and what that means is that they began to speak In languages that were unknown to them And it says that there were people from lots of different nations that were there for that festival And they were hearing them preach and teach the gospel, the story of Jesus in their own language And so people start to gather, what in the world is going on? One of them is hearing them in Greek, and one of them is hearing them in Hebrew And one of them is hearing them in Arabic And they're hearing all of these different languages that these men did not study so there's this profound miracle that's happening where all of these different nations, all of these different peoples are able to hear the story of Jesus for the very first time in their own language. Okay, you guys with me so far? You got the story? You got the plot? Okay, cool. So this happens, and then Peter stands up. They, some people start to make fun of them. They come and they say, because they're kind of, they're getting a little wild. We get a little wild sometimes. And, uh, and there's some people who are a little critical of how wild they got, and they said, I think they're drunk. If I was standing in that corner looking at us sometimes, I might think some things. And so, but they look at them and say, Man, I, I think they're drunk. And Peter gets up and he says, We are not drunk, but this amazing thing just happened to us. What was prophesied? Years and years and years ago by the prophet Joel It's happening today God is pouring out his spirit upon us And the reason that he's pouring out his spirit on us Is so that we can tell you about Jesus So Peter gets up And he boldly proclaims the gospel And we're going to go to the uh, Let's go to chapter 2 Verse 41 And this is where we're going to pick up What we're talking about today So Peter's getting wild Speaking in tongues Everyone's hearing him in in their own language, telling them all about Jesus, being so bold. And it says this So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Okay? So what we are reading here is the miraculous birth of the church. Okay? This was the supernatural start of the church, the church that still exists today, the church that we find all around the world, right, with upwards of a billion people that are now a part of it. This was the start. It went from 120 people to a little over 3,000 people in a single moment because one wild man named Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, got up and dared to preach the gospel about Jesus. Okay, Now, here's the thing. That's really exciting, but if, if anyone in here thinks organizationally or administratively, can you raise your hand if you, you think organizationally, administratively, systems, entrepreneurial, any of those people you in here? 3,000 people being added on one day is a nightmare. If right now, it's like, Tyler, I love your gym, dude. It's about 120, 150 centered CrossFit. I'm going to get up and preach on fitness this morning and the power of the Holy Spirit is going to come upon Tip City and 3,000 people are going to show up this week to do CrossFit Tyler would literally go home and cry like oh we need to call Rogue right now I need dumbbells lots of dumbbells I need plates I need jump ropes I need... you know what we're done we're closing the whole thing we're not doing it too much 3,000 people get saved they get baptized how long does it take to baptize 3,000 people? I don't know, dude. They're dunking. If you do a song in between each one, that takes a while, man. Josh is up there like his fingers are bleeding on the electric. Like, come on. So anyways, revival is a little bit costly sometimes. It takes more. So they're dunking 3,000 people. These 3,000 people, okay? And then now these 12 apostles, these 120 believers, they've got 3,000 people who are looking at them and saying, what do we do now? Right? What do we do now? I believe in Jesus. I just gave my whole life to Jesus. In those waters of baptism, I just died to my entire old life. And I have now been raised with him in new life. I can't go back to what I was doing before. So what are we going to do? You know? And that would be a good moment for them to just be like, see ya. You know? But Jesus didn't give them that power, so they had to stay and deal with it. And Jesus just up laughing, like, got you boys. And so... They have to now figure out what to do with 3,000. And what's awesome is that the Holy Spirit anointed them and empowered them to figure it out. He actually showed them how to organize and administrate and to form all of those new believers, that community into what we now call the church. And Luke pauses for a moment in Acts 2 to give us a description, a detailed description of what they actually crafted together out of that initial community. Are you interested? You want to know what they did? Okay, so let's keep reading. We're just going to read one verse today, and we're going to get lost in one verse together. You guys ready? So this is what Acts 2.42 says. It says, And they—who's they? They is the 3,000-plus believers who are now living in Jerusalem together. Okay, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship— to the breaking of bread and the prayers, okay? So I wanna start, we're just gonna break this down word by word, okay? So it says, and they devoted themselves. Pause. The chief characteristic of the early church was devotion. If you have notes, that's a good thing to write down. I want you to remember this. The chief characteristic of the early church was devotion of any word in that entire language that Luke could have used to give his first description of the early church. He picked that one. Devotion. 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 When Nicole preached to us the other week, she said, the best definition that I have to give you of worship is devotion. Devotion devotion. Do you guys feel that? They were devoted. Now, I want to explore that a little bit of what that means, okay? So um, I'll give you, I'll give you the scholarly definition of devotion, and then I'll give you Nicole's definition, because it was way better that she gave us a couple weeks ago. If you didn't write it down that time, you get a second chance, okay? So this is what it says. This is a scholarly. When you look at that word in the Greek, what does it mean? It means this, a steadfast and single-minded fidelity, I don't know what that word means, but no, I'm just kidding. It means loyalty, but it's an awesome word. Steadfast and single-minded fidelity to a certain course of action. So it means this. They had given their lives to Jesus. They had fully acknowledged him as their Lord and as the Christ, which means the King. They had surrendered themselves to him, and they said from now on, Everything about my life, every aspect of my life is yours. Back in those days when there was a king, what you could do is you could go in and if you wanted to become a citizen of their kingdom, you would come into their courts, into their presence, and you could get down on your knees before them and you would honor them and say, I desire for you to be my lord to be my king, because I want to be in your kingdom. And they would say to you, are you willing to renounce every other loyalty, every other Lord, every other king, every other citizenship, every other thing that you had given yourself to, are you willing to lay that down to be a part of mine? Because you can't serve two masters. That's what Jesus said. You will love one and you will despise the other. You cannot be loyal to two masters if they demand full, total allegiance. And I tell you today that Christ demands total allegiance. Jesus is not the kind of king that will let you flirt back and forth between kingdoms. It says that we have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. There is no question about it. We're not halfway in between the two, straddling the border, using our passport of grace to try to go back and forth between sin and righteousness. Get that out of here. When I gave my life to Jesus, I gave him the full thing. When I went under the waters of baptism, I died to my old life. That Corey, that man who used to live that way, he's gone. I don't know where he went. He died on the cross with Christ. Galatians says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what it is. Total allegiance, full loyalty. Do you feel that? That is what Christ has invited us into. You get down your face before him and you say, grace, mercy, take me into your kingdom, please. And he lets us come in. He lets us come in. And what's crazy is that before, we were in the camp of his enemy. The kingdom that had been warring against his generation by generation, and he still takes us. That's who he is. You guys love Jesus? Me too. Here's what Nicole said. I I really like this. She said, devotion is love, loyalty, and exuberance. They were in love with Jesus. They were loyal to Jesus, and they were excited about Jesus. They had this passion for Jesus that had consumed their lives like a fire, and they were all for him. Here's the thing, I want to say this. Devotion actually means something. So when we say that we're devoted to something— that has to mean something. We can't just use that language, okay? Right? Like, if I told you that I was devoted to football, which I'm not. I don't know anything about football. But if I told you because there was a cultural pressure to be into football, man, I'm, I'm devoted to football. You're like, yeah, man, me too. I'm devoted to football. Like, what's your favorite team? I'm like, yeah, the, uh, I'm like, and I'm just, I'm like, yeah, salamanders. I know there's animals. You're like, dude, there's, there are not salamanders. I'm like, eagles. She's like, yeah, there's eagles. Okay, sweet, I'm in. Right? We start talking, like, what's your, fa- what's your favorite player? What's your stats? What's your? And as you're talking to me, you begin to realize, you don't know anything about football. Right? Would you believe that I was actually devoted to football? Right? Devotion looks like something. Devotion means something. Devotion has to have substance for it to have merit so when you say that you love something or that you're devoted to something or that you worship something or that you've given your life to something that has to translate into something practical if that hasn't translated into something practical then you're not actually devoted to it right if you are a musician that is devoted to your instrument what does it mean It means you get up in the morning and you practice your instrument and the next day you practice your instrument and the next day you practice your instrument because you love your instrument because you love music because you're called to be a musician you value it and on the day where you feel a lot of feelings about music and you want to do it of course you do it on that day but on the day when you don't you get up and do it anyways Because you're devoted to it. You're committed to it. You have a fidelity to it. Does that make sense? Right? And the thing in our culture is a lot of times we like to jump on cultural bandwagons. Right? Where we like to say, oh yeah, I'm into this or I'm into that. I like to wear the t-shirt. I like to, right, I like to get the merch. But the reality is sometimes we're not actually devoted to it. We're not actually giving our lives day by day in practical ways to it right devotion actually means something I want to say this that the power of our yes is expressed in a thousand no's so let me explain what I mean by that okay I am devoted to my wife when we got married I stood on a stage And I looked her in her eyes before God, and I made promises to her. I made vows to her on that altar that we were gonna share a life of love together, right? And that was powerful. I was saying yes on that day, and that yes was powerful. And I paid a good deal of money for some rings to back it up, okay? But that is not actually the power that was in my yes. The power of that yes is I was committing to say no to four billion women for the rest of my life. And every single day that I said no, 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 heck no, 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 to every woman on this planet besides that one over there, that is what gives the yes its power. Does that make sense? So when you talk about the devoted musician who's giving themselves to their craft, their daily yes is actually thousands of no's to the other things that they could be doing with their time and energy. Do you realize that? The devoted athlete, it's saying no to the spicy chicken sandwich and eating the disgusting grilled sandwich. Why would you do that? Spicy is the way to go, but it's saying no, I can't eat that. Because I got to go to the gym today and hit it hard because I'm time to get swole, okay? So there's this reality that when you say yes to something, you are simultaneously saying no, 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 no. And here's the thing this generation wants to say yes to Jesus without having to say no. Nobody wants to talk about repentance. Get that off our platform. Nobody wants to talk about holiness anymore. No one wants to talk about confession. No one wants to talk about surrender. Listen, all of those words just mean you saying no to the things that you can't keep when you lay hold of Jesus. And friend, let me tell you, you have never laid down anything at the cross that's more valuable than that man that hung on it. Every single thing that you've surrendered for Christ is nothing compared to Him. Paul said it this way I consider it all, all of my successes and all of my failures, garbage compared to the surpassing graciousness of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. All of it is filth and rubble and garbage compared to that beautiful, glorious, all consuming man. He is the magnificent obsession. He is meant to be the center of our lives, the center of our our universe, our center of gravity, where everything revolves around him. That's what's supposed to happen when you get saved. It's exclusive devotion, and you can have no others. Amen? All right, I feel like you guys understood that. Let's move on. Okay, so the power of your yes is connected to all of the no's that you say. You guys with me? And what that means is that devotion is actually costly. So all of those no's, they cost you something. You're paying a price. To come here this morning, to be in church, you paid a price. How many of you have things that you could be doing right now that you're not doing because you're here? That's devotion. That is devotion. And I want you to know this morning that it actually moves him. He actually cares that you made the sacrifice to come this morning. All right, you guys want to move on? We've got a few more minutes, and then we're going to take communion together. There are four—I'm going to call them the four pillars of devotion. If you're If you're taking notes, that'd be a good thing to write down. There were four pillars of devotion. Not to be confused with the five pillars of Islam, but there's these four pillars of devotion. And actually, the concept within Islam originated and was a copycat from Christianity. That there's this idea that the church was devoted to very specific things that they would give themselves to, to, to on a daily basis. And Islam picked that up and said, ooh, we're going to take that. There's these pillars of devotion, and here they are. The four pillars of devotion. I'm going to break them down in two groups of two. Okay? Because they, they tend to happen in two different venues, in two different places. So the first one, and this is the title of my sermon today, it's kind of late to tell you, but if you've been waiting to put something in your header, do you guys know what I'm talking about? When you're taking notes in church and you start the sermon, the preacher doesn't tell you the title, and it's like 2 p.m. that day, and I'm just like, like, what? What do I write on this line? Like, I, I need it. I need closure. So you can write the altar in the table. That, that is the title of this. You are, you're okay. You can go to lunch. You can take a nap in peace today. Okay. So the altar is where we're going to start at, okay? So there were two places where the church gathers. We talked before, I preach in the fall about the church, and actually the meaning of the word church is the gathering. It's connected to a verb that means to gather or to assemble. So the gathering or the assembly, that's what we mean when we say church. So when believers gather, when believers assemble, boom, that's church, okay? And so they gathered in two different places that had two vastly different dynamics connected to them. Okay? The first one that we see in Acts 2.42 is that they were gathering together in the temple. So in Jerusalem, on a hill, there was built a magnificent temple. Okay? And in that temple, throughout the day, there were priests, that were sustaining worship and prayer, okay? And you could go to Jerusalem and you could climb that hill and you could go into that temple and you could participate in those services, those events, if you were a Jew, right? So you could go in and you could be a part of their worship and you could be a part of their prayers. And this typically happened about three times per day. Okay. It was based off of Daniel, who we referenced earlier talking about hot tubs. But it says that Daniel turned his face in worship and prayer towards God morning, noon, and night. And that had been his habit throughout his life while he was in exile. We're not in that story, so I'm not going to explain all that. But they took that from the scriptures and said, well, if, if that was good enough for Daniel, then we, we should do that. And so they began gathering together in the temple morning, noon, and night. And they began to have these worship and prayer times, and that was available. And so the believers, the 3,000 plus believers, it says that one—we're going to kind of skip around in the four— but it says the first thing that they did is they were devoting themselves to the prayers. So they would go to the temple, and they would be a part of worship and prayer in the morning for a little bit. Then most of them would probably go to work, and then they would come back during their lunch break— and then they would spend some time in worship and prayer. And for a lot of them, they probably had to go back to work. And in the evening, they would come back. They'd spend some time in worship and prayer. And these were rhythms that were available to the community, right? This was happening daily. In fact, it was happening, or at least available to the community, multiple times per day. So when you imagine the early church, I want you to imagine that. There were lots of opportunities for worship and prayer happening, okay? Okay. I believe in our church, in the coming days, we're going to be able to offer more opportunities for worship and prayer to our community. I really believe that's something that's coming. So that was the first thing. And the believers were going to these, okay? So they were deeply invested in worship and prayer. But the next thing that would happen is after all of the people had come for worship and prayer, they would move out and they would begin to gather crowds, They would start preaching, and they would start teaching, and they would start healing the sick, and they would start casting out demons, and all these miraculous things were happening, and it would draw the attention of the crowd, and they would come together, they would gather, and they would get up, and they would share with them about Jesus. And this is where people were getting saved day by day, because they were preaching and teaching day by day, okay? So the first thing that they gave themselves to was worship and prayer, okay? You can go ahead and write that down. That's number one. So under the altar, it's an altar of worship and prayer. That's really what it is. And then the second thing, it's an altar of preaching and teaching. Because in the context of worship and prayer, it actually gives space for the Word to emerge in power and to be confirmed with signs and wonders and miracles. And people were getting saved and healed and delivered because of that. Okay? So this was happening on a daily basis, and the early church was devoted to this. Devoted to this. You guys with me? Now, I'm not going to stay too long on this because we've been talking about this reality for the past five or six weeks. So hopefully you understand the value for worship and prayer, and you understand the value for preaching and teaching. And if you look at this, this actually, the, the altar, this reality— This reminds me a lot of what we do every Sunday. This actually, to me, gives a lot of credence to what we do here on Sundays. So if you ever ask the question, like, where is this, this thing that we do in the Word? Well, there it is. That's what they were devoted to, right? So I want to say we should be devoted to this, right? Even if you sometimes have beef with this. Even if you sometimes get annoyed with this. Even if it doesn't sometimes meet your expectations or your preference or this or that. No, no, no. They devoted themselves to this. In Hebrew, it warns us and says not to forsake gathering ourselves together to do this. No matter how dysfunctional or broken the church gets or has been or will be, we cannot give up on it. We got to keep doing it. And we can try to make it better every week. But we can never give up on it, okay? Let's move forward, and here's where we're going to finish. But here's the other thing that blows my mind, is it didn't stop there. And here's where I want to dismantle what I believe is a lie that's been resting over Western Christianity, and it's this. What it means to be a Christian is to come to church on Sunday morning, and if you are a radical Christian, then maybe you even go to church on ooh, Wednesday night. Oh, devoted. Um, how fit would someone be if they only went to the gym on Sunday morning? Especially if they were still pounding those Doritos through the week. Oh, I'm not experiencing transformation. Church is a joke. (laughs) What? Give me a break. Church isn't a joke. It's that you're not devoted to the things that Christ has called us to be devoted to that bring transformation. Right? you're going to lift those dumbbells one time and have those big old biceps? That's not how it works. Right? You think you're going to pick up your violin one time and try to strum it, and then you're going to be a maestro? No! You have to give yourself to it for it to have the full effect. It's devotion, okay? But here's the second thing, and this is what I want to call us to today. This is where we're going to land. It was not just the altar reality, but they would leave the temple, and it says they would gather together, church, the gathering, the assembly, they would gather together home to home, and they would sit around one another's table it's the altar and it's the table the altar and the table that was the movement of the christian life of the christian experience of what we do together as a community from the altar to the table and there are some parts of christianity that have given up on this we don't need that we're just going to hang out in coffee shops and talk about theology Right, we don't, need, we don't need that. What they don't realize is that they're chopping off half of what it means to be the church. And they wonder 10 years later why they feel so empty. But the other side is that we come and do this, but then we live private, isolated, closed-doored, island lives. And we wonder, man, I go to church every Sunday and I hear that Jesus is hope and faith and peace and joy, but I still feel so stinking lonely. Well, do you want to know why you feel lonely? Because you don't have any friends. Do you want to know why you don't have friends? Because you come into a room with people and stand and do activities and then walk out the door and you weren't known and you didn't get to know. And you weren't made for that. You were actually made to go from this Worship, prayer, preaching, teaching, presence, power, encounter, experiencing the Holy Spirit, signs and wonders and miracles. And you were supposed to get off of this altar and walk out those doors and go eat some tacos with somebody. And if you move in a rhythm of work, home, where I'm kind of by myself and lonely, church. Ho- work, home, where I'm by myself and lonely, church. Do you guys see how that that doesn't actually do what you're hoping will happen in your spiritual life? We need these other two realities. This is what happens at the table. The first one is called the fellowship. Take koinonia in the Greek. The fellowship. It comes from, the root word means common or shared. It's where we get the word community. So they gave themselves to community, to sharing their lives together, not just their religious, spiritual lives, but their lives. Marriages, and families, and interests, and passions, and hangout, and hot tubs. Hot tubs. Come on. Come on, Jesus. That is a part of it, and we have to retain that. And so... uh, And then at those tables, what it says, this is the fourth thing, is that they gave themselves to the breaking of bread. And this is where we're going to close today. And the band, if you want to come up, this is a good time. I know children and teens are going to come back in. Um, But they gave themselves to the breaking of bread. And this phrase, it's a common phrase. It it means to share a meal together. Um, It's that simple. They ate tacos together. They shared a meal together. They broke bread together. But this phrase actually came over time to take on a much greater significance. We read in 1 Corinthians that it turned into, they would come together, what they called a love feast. And as they were eating dinner together, sharing a meal together, they would celebrate communion. And they would remember Jesus at their meal. Okay? The table. It's the fellowship and the breaking of bread. And it happens in homes not just public gatherings where we meet in public spaces and we hide our lives from each other but private homes where we open our doors and we open our tables and we say come in here sit at my table I want to know you and I really want you to know me hey I I know I looked really cool today raising my hands during worship but actually I'm maybe a little bit more broken than I was projecting actually I'm hurting a little bit more than I, I led on to when we were in the big group actually there's some things I maybe need to talk about Do you have time for that? Do you guys know what I mean? Um, There's some questions I have about the Bible because when that guy Corey was up there, he was talking really fast and I really didn't know what he was saying half the time. Could you slow down with me and help me understand? Actually, where is the book of Acts anyways? Because I flipped for 45 minutes and I couldn't quite land it. Where do we have space to talk about that? That's what we need, friends. We need the altar and the table, stand with me. You guys doing okay? Having fun? Okay. I know it's 11.50 and some of you are getting hungry. But that's okay, because we're gonna take communion. <laughs> Hallelujah. That little wafer's gonna tide you over. It's gonna get you through. You'll be okay. You'll be okay. If you don't have communion, go ahead and raise your hand. The ushers are gonna find you wherever you're at. Just give a little wave, just a little. Yep, leave it up until they come get you. Okay. Okay, make sure you got it. Do teens, come on in, kids. Some of the kids are back in, go go find your families. We're just gonna have a little table moment together here's where I want to start today here's where I want to start today I I know there's some movement that's still happening yeah teens go ahead and come down and I just don't want us to be distracted as we move into this next part come to the altar together. Come to the table together. Remember Jesus together. All right, here's the deal. I want you guys to give me your attention. I know there's still some movement in the room, but try not to be distracted. I want you to give me your attention for one moment. It's the most important thing that I'm gonna say this entire sermon. If you are in this room and you have not yet surrendered your life to Jesus. If you are in this room and you have not yet gotten down on your knees before him and said, you are my Lord, you are my King. I believe in you, believe that you're real, that you lived, that you died that you really were buried in a tomb and that you really did get up out of that tomb, that you ascended to heaven in the same way you went up, you're actually gonna come back down. If you have never had that moment with Jesus, if you have never had that conversation with Jesus, I wanna plead with you today. I want to beg you today to consider him. To actually consider putting your life before him and telling him you are now my devotion. If you've never had that moment in your life I want everyone to close their eyes across the room. If you've never had that moment in your life and you want to have it right now, I just want you to raise your hand. Come Holy Spirit. If you're a believer, just begin to pray right now. Maybe you didn't know he was beautiful before today. Maybe nobody ever told you. Maybe you didn't know that he was worthy before today. Nobody ever explained it to you. Well, today is your opportunity. Maybe no one ever told you that it's exciting to be a Christian and you thought it was a bunch of religious garbage that was gonna bore you to death. Friend, I'm telling you, Christ will bring you to life. If you've never given your life to Jesus, today is your day. I wanna pray for you right now and then afterwards, if that's you, I want you to come down, I want you to find one of our leaders who will be at the altar and they will explain to you what it actually means to give your life to Jesus. But if that's you, I want you to put your hands in front of you right now and I'm gonna pray for you. Lord, I'm I'm praying for every single one in this room, the couple hands that went up, but also maybe the ones who were timid and they kinda want to, but they're not so sure. Lord, I'm asking God that right now, that you would invade their lives. I'm asking right now, come on church, pray with me. Come on church, you're soul winners. You actually care that people would spend eternity with Jesus, you actually care. Pray with me, come on. Lord, I'm asking right now that you would invade their lives. Lord, I'm asking right now that you would break in. Lord, I'm asking right now that addictions would break in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I'm asking right now, God, that believers, new believers would be added to the church. Lord, I'm asking God that they would be baptized and that their old life of sin and bondage and shame would pass away and that they would come into a new life with Jesus Christ. Lord, I'm asking that you would give them the courage today to come down to the altar, to meet with our leaders and to give their life to Jesus. We ask in your name, amen. And then here's the second thing I wanna minister today. Prayer team, if you could come down, go ahead and line the altars. Today, I I just wanna pray, I, I wanna pray for the lonely today. I just feel like there are some in our community or maybe even those who are viewing online that you have had the experience of the altar, worship and prayer and preaching and teaching and services and church and weekend events, but maybe you've never had the experience of the table. Maybe you've never had the experience of being known and loved and accepted. Maybe you've never had a deep Christian friendship before that changed you. And if that's true, I wanna say to you, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry that that's been your experience. And here at Upper Room, we wanna make sure that that, that that's not your experience from this day forward. There are homes in this community that are open. There are tables in this community that are open. There are good people here who want to walk with you on your journey to be closer to Jesus. That's what this next month is going to be about. But if that's you, and if you've just been feeling lonely, even 2020, just the year, you're like, man, I I felt a lot of lonely in 2020. If that's you, I just want you to come down to the altar and to receive prayer. I'm just gonna wait for a few minutes because that's I know there's been some lonely it's crazy is some of you are, are married but you felt lonely because it was a hard year maybe it was harder to connect some of you you, you you have a family you've got kids but but actually it was a lonely year because it was it was hard to do family last year it was really hard to do family last year and you just you felt just a so lonely weight sitting on you. I'm going to begin to pray, and maybe as I pray, if you feel that tug, I would just want to encourage you to come down, and there's people who would love to pray for you. Lord, I just ask right now, God, for anyone who's feeling lonely, who has been feeling lonely, whether that's right now, whether that's last year, Lord, I'm asking that you would minister to them right now and we declare over you, you have a home. You have a house to enter into. You have a table to fellowship at. There is bread for you to break with other believers. I'm sorry that you've been lonely, but Jesus wants to invite you in today. You have a family. You have brothers, you have sisters, people who love you, people who care about you, people who would do anything for you. That's what this is about. Lord, I'm asking right now, Lord, minister to anyone who's been feeling lonely.